0: Section one of Harding's Luck This is a Lipperox recording. All Lipperox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. recording by sonia Harding's Luck by Edith nesbitt Chapter one Part one Tinkler and the Moonflower Dickie lived at Newcross at least the address was Newcross. But really the house where he lived was one of a row of horrid little houses, built on the slope where once green fields ran down the hill to the river, and the old houses of the Deptford merchants stood stately in their pleasant gardens and fruitful orchards. All those good fields and happy gardens are built over now; it is as though some wicked giant had taken a big brushful of yellow ochre paint and another full of much colour and had painted out the green in streaks of dull yellow and filthy brown, and the brown is the roads and the yellow is the houses. Miles and miles and miles of them, and not a green thing to be seen except the cabbages and the greengrocer's shops, and here and there some poor trails of creeping Jenny drooping from a dirty window sill. There's a little yard at the back of each house. This is called the garden, and some of these show green. But they only show it to the house's back windows. You cannot see it from the street. These gardens are green, because green is the colour that most pleases and soothes men's eyes. And however you may shut people up between bars of yellow and much colour, and however hard you may make them work, and however little wage you may pay them for working, there will always be found among those people some men who are willing to work a little longer and for no wages at all. "'so that they may have green things growing near them. "'But there were no green things growing in the garden "'at the back of the house where Dickie lived with his aunt. "'There were stones and bones and bits of brick "'and dirty old dishcloths matted together with grease and mud, "'worn-out broom hats and broken shovels, "'a bottomless pail, and the mouldy remains of a hutch "'where once rabbits had lived. "'But that was a very long time ago,' and Dicky had never seen the rabbits. A boy had brought a brown rabbit to school once, buttoned up inside his jacket, and he had let Dicky hold it in his hands for several minutes before the teacher detected its presence and shut it up in a locker till school should be over. So Dicky knew what rabbits were like, and he was fond of the hutch for the sake of what had once lived there. And when his aunt sold the poor remains of the hutch to a man with a barrow, who was ready to buy anything, and who took all the pails and the shovels, giving three pence for the lot. Dickie was almost as unhappy as though the hutch had really held a furry friend. And he hated the man who took the hutch away, all the more because there were empty rabbit skins hanging sadly from the back of the barrow. It is really with the going of that rabbit hutch that this story begins. Because it was then that Dickie, having called his aunt a beast and hit at her with his dirty little fist, "'was well slept and put out into the bereaved yard "'to come to himself,' as his aunt said. "'He threw himself down on the ground "'and cried and wriggled with misery and pain "'and wished, ah, many things. "'What's the bloomin' row now?' "'the man next door suddenly asked. "'Been hidden of you?' "'They've took away the urch said Dicky. "'Well, there war not nothing in it.' "'I didn't want it took away,' weighed Dickie. Leaves small room, said the man next door, leaning on a spade. It was Saturday afternoon, and the next-door garden was one of the green ones. There were small, gruffy daffodils in it, and dirty-faced little primroses, and an arbor beside the water-butt. Bare this time of the year, but still a real arbor. And an elder tree, that in the hot weather had flat, white flowers on it, big as tea-plates. And a lilac-tree with brown buds on it, Beautiful, say, matey, just you chuck it, chuck it, I say, how in thunder can I get down with my diggin with yer old in your head of? inquired the man next door, you get up and peg along in and ask your aunt if she'd be agreeable for me to do up her garden a bit. I could do it odd times, you'd like that, not arf said Dickie, getting up, come to yourself, eh sneered the aunt, you mind, and let it be the last time you come your games with me, my beauty. You and your tantrums. Dickie said what it was necessary to say and got back to the garden. She says she ain't got no time to waste, and if you have, she don't care what you does with it. There's a dirty mark you've got on you, said the man next door, leaning over to give Dickie's face a rub with a handkerchief hardly cleaner. Now I come over and make a start. He threw his leg over the fence. You just pack about and be busy picking up all them fancy articles, and next time your aunt goes to Buckingham Palace for the day, we'll have a bonfire. Fifth of November?' said Dickie, sitting down and beginning to draw to himself the rubbish that covered the ground. Fifths of anything you like, so long as she ain't about,' said he, driving in the spade. "'Odd any old doorstep it is. Never mind, we'll turn it over.' and we get some little seeds and some little plantsies and we shan't know ourselves i got a half penny said Dickie. well i put one to it and you leg long and buy seeds. that's what you do dicky went he went slowly because he was lame and he was lame because his aunt had dropped him when he was a baby she was not a nice woman and i am glad to say that she goes out of the story almost at once but she did keep Dickie when his father died and she might have sent him to the workhouse, For she was not really his aunt, but just the woman of the house where his father had lodged. It was good of her to keep Dickie, even if she wasn't very kind to him. And as that is all the good I can find to say about her, I will say no more. With his little crutch, made out of a walnut broom, cut down to his little height, he could manage quite well in spite of his lameness. He found the corn-chandlers, a really charming shop, that smelled like stables and had deep dusty bins where he would have liked to play above the bins were delightful little square-fronted drawers labelled rape hemp cannery millet mustard and so on and above the drawers pictures of the kind of animals that were fed on the kind of things that the shop sold Fat oblong cows that had eaten birdies cattle food stout pillows of wool that officers' sheep's wives had fed and brightest and best of all an incredible smooth plumaged parrot, rainbow colored cocking a black eye bright with the intoxicating qualities of parroquets' artistic birdseed. "'Gimme!' said Dickie, leaning against the counter and pointing a grimy thumb at the wonder. "'Gimme a penrose or that there!' "'Got the penny?' the shopman asked carefully. Dickie displayed it, parted with it, and came home nursing a paper bag full of rustling promises why said the man next door that ain't seeds it's parrot food that is it said they are something bird seed said Dickie downcast i thought it had come into flowers like birds same colors at what the pole parrot was don't you know and so it will like a not, said the man next door comfortably i'll set it along the sand since i've got it turned over i lay it'll come up something pretty so the seed was sown and the man next door promised two more pennies later for real seed. Also he transplanted two of the primroses whose faces wanted washing. It was a grand day for Dickie. He told the whole story of it that night when he went to bed, to his only confidant, from whom he did nothing. The confidant made no reply, but Dickie was sure this was not because the confidant didn't care about the story. The confidant was a blackened stick, about five inches long, with little blackened bells to it, like the bells on dog's collars. Also a rather crooked bit of something whitish and very hard, good to suck or to stroke with your fingers, or to dig hose in the soap with. Dickie had no idea what it was. His father had given it to him in the hospital, where Dickie was taken to say good-bye to him. Good-bye had to be said, because of father having fallen off the scaffolding where he was at work and not getting better. "'You stick to that,' father had said, "'looking dreadfully clean in the strange bed, "'among all those other clean beds. "'It's your your very own. "'My dad gave it to me, and it belonged to his dad. "'Don't you let anyone take it away. "'Some old lady told the old man it'd bring us luck. "'So long, old chap.' Dickie remembered every word of that speech, "'and he kept the treasure. "'There had been another thing with it, tied on with string.' But Aunt Maud had found that, and taken it away, to take care of, and he had never seen it again. It was brassy, with a white stone and some sort of pattern on it. He had the treasure, and he had not the least idea what it was, with its bells that jangled such pretty music, and its white spike so hard and smooth. He did not know, but I know. It was a rattle, a baby's old-fashioned rattle, or, if you would rather call it that, a coral and belts.' "'And we shall have the fairest flowers of hill and dale,' said Dickie, whispering comfortably in his dirty sheets. And Greensward. Oh, Tinkler dear, t'will indeed be a fair scene. The gayest colours of the rainbow, amid the ache able, green of fresh leaves. I do love the man next door. He is indeed a art of gold.' That was how Dickie talked to his friend Tinkler. You know how he talked to his aunt and the man next door. I wonder whether you know that most children can speak at least two languages even if they have never had a fern nurse or been to fern climbs or whether you think that you are the only child who can do this believe me you are not parents and guardians would be surprised to learn that dear little charlie has a language quite different from the one he uses to them a language in which he talks to the cook and the housemaid and yet another language spoken with the real accent too "'in which he converses with the boot-boy and the grooms. Dicky, however, had learned a second language from books. "'The teacher at his school had given him six. "'Children of the New Forest, Quentin Derwood, He ward the Wake, and three others, all paper-backed. "'They made a new world for Dickie, "'and since the people and books talked in this nice, if odd, way, "'he saw no reason why he should not, to a friend whom he could trust.' "'I hope you are not getting bored with all this. "'You see, I must tell you a little about the kind of boy Dickie was, "'and the kind of way he lived, "'or you won't understand his adventures. "'And he had adventures, no end of adventures, "'as you will see presently.' "'Dickie woke, gay as the spring sun "'that was trying to look in at him through his grimy windows. "'Perhaps he'll do some more to the garden to-day,' he said, "'and got up very quickly.' He got up in the dirty, comfortless room, and dressed himself. But in the evening he was undressed by kind, clean hands, and washed in a big bath, half full of hot, silvery water, with soap that smelled like the timber-yard at the end of the street. Because, going along to school, with his silly little head full of artistic bird-seeds and flowers rainbow-coloured, he had let his crutch slip on a banana-skin, and had tumbled down, and a butcher's cart had gone over his poor lame foot. So they took the hurt foot to the hospital, and of course he had to go with it, and the hospital was much more like the heaven he read of in his books than anything he had ever come across before. He noticed that the nurses and the doctors spoke in the kind of words that he had found in his books, and in a voice that he had not found anywhere, so when on the second day a round-faced smiling lady in a white cap said well tommy and how are we to-day he replied my name is far from being tommy and i am in lux Uri and af fluence i thank you gracious lady at which the lady laughed and pinched his cheek when she grew to know him better and found out where he had learned to talk like that she produced more books and from them he learned more new words they were very nice to him at the hospital, but when they sent him home they put his lame foot into a thick boot with a hurried, clumpy sole and iron things that went up his leg. His aunt and her friend said, "'How kind!' But Dickie hated it. The boys at school made game of it. They had got used to the crutch, and there was worse than being called Old Dot and Go One, which was what Dickie had got used to so used that it seemed almost like a pet name. And on that first night of his return he found that he had been robbed. They had taken his tinkler from the safe corner in his bed, where the ticking was broken, and there was a soft flock-nest for a boy's best friend. He knew better than to ask what had become of it. Instead he searched and searched the house in all its five rooms. But he never found tinkler. Instead he found next day, when his aunt had gone out shopping, a little square of cardboard at the back of the dresser drawer, among the dirty dusters and clothes packs and string and corks and novelettes. It was a pawn ticket. Rattle. One shilling. Dickie knew all about pawn tickets. You, of course, don't. Well, ask some grown up person to explain. I haven't time. I want to get on with the story. Until he had found that ticket, "'He had not been able to think of anything else. "'He had not even cared to think about his garden "'and wonder whether the artistic bird seeds had come up parrot-coloured. "'He had been a very long time in the hospital, and it was August now. "'And the nurses had assured him that the seeds must be up long ago. "'He would find everything flowering, you see, if he didn't. "'And now he went out to look. "'There was a tangle of green growth at the end of the garden, and the next garden was full of weeds, for the man next door had gone off to look for work down Ashford Way, where the hop-garden's are, and the house was to let. A few poor little pink and yellow flowers showed stunted among the green where he had sowed the artistic bird-seed. And, towering high above everything else, oh, three times as high as Dickie himself, there was a flower, a great flower like a sunflower, only white. Why, said Dickie, it's as big as a dinner-plate it was it stood up beautiful and stately and turned its green white face towards the sun the stalk's like a little tree said Dickie. and so it was it had great drooping leaves and a dozen smaller white flowers stood out below it on long stalks thinner than that needed to support the moonflower itself it is a moonflower of course he said "'if the other kind sunflowers. "'I love it! "'I love it! "'I love it!' "'He did not allow himself much time "'for loving it, however, "'for he had business in hand. "'He had somehow or other "'to get a shilling, "'because without a shilling "'he could not exchange "'that square of cardboard "'with rattle on it "'for his one friend Tinkler. "'And with the shilling he could. "'This is part of the dismal magic "'of pawn-tickets,' "'which some grown-up would kindly explain to you. "'I can't get money by the sweat of my brow,' said Dickie to himself. "'Nobody would let me run their errands "'when they could get a boy with bows legs to do them. "'Not likely. "'I wish I'd got something I could sell.' "'He looked round the yard. "'Dirtier and nastier than ever, Now in the parts that the man next door had not had time to dig. "'There was certainly nothing there that anyone would want to buy, "'especially now the rabbit-hutch was gone.' except why of course the moonflowers he got the old worn down knife out of the bowl on the back kitchen sink where it nestled among potato peelings like a flower among foliage and carefully cut half a dozen of the smaller flowers then he limped up to new coast station and stood outside leaning on his crutch and holding out the flowers to so the people who came crowding out of the station after the arrival of each train Thick, black crowds of tired people, in too great a hurry to get home to their teas, to care much about him or his flowers. Everybody glanced at them, for they were wonderful flowers, as white as water-lilies, only flat, the real sunflower shape, and their centers were of the purest yellow-gold color. Pretty, aren't they? One black-coated person would say to another, and the other would reply. No, yes, I don't know hurry up can't you it was no good dicky was tired and the flowers were beginning to droop he turned to go home when a sudden thought brought the butcher's face he turned again quickly and went straight to the pawnbroker's you may be quite sure he had learned the address on the cart by heart he went boldly into the shop which had three handsome gold balls hanging out above its door and in its window all sorts of pretty things "'rings and chains and brooches and watches and china and silk handkerchiefs and concertinas. "'Well, young man,' said the stout gentleman behind the counter, "'what can we do for you?' "'I want to pawn my moonflowers,' said Dickie. "'The stout gentleman roared with laughter and slapped a stout leg with a stout hand. "'Well, that's a good one,' he said, "'as good a one as ever I heard.' Why, you little duffer, they'd be dead long before you came back to redeem them, that's certain. You'd have them while they were alive, you know, said Dickie gently. What are they? Don't seem up to much. Though I don't know that I ever saw a flower just like them, come to think of it, said the pawnbroker, who lived in a neat villa at Brockley, and went in for gardening in a gentlemanly, you needn't suppose I can't afford a regarden if I like, sort of way. They are moonflowers, said Dickie, and I want to pawn them and then get something else out with the money. Got the ticket? said the gentleman, cleverly seeing that he meant get out of pawn. Yes, said Dickie, and it's my own tinkler that my daddy gave me before he died, and my aunt Missa propagated it when I was in hospital. The man looked carefully at the card. All right, he said at last. Hand over the flowers. They are not so bad, he added more willing to price them now that they were his things do look different when they are your own don't you think here humphreys put these in a jug of water till i go home and get this out a pale young man in spectacles appeared from a sort of dark cave at the back of the shop took flowers and ticket and was swallowed up again in the darkness of the cave oh thank you said dicky fervently i shall live but to repay your bounteous generosity "'None of your cheek,' said the pawnbroker, reddening, and there was an awkward pause. "'It's not cheek. I meant it,' said Dickie at last, speaking very earnestly. "'You'd see some of these days. I read an interesting narrative about a lion, the king of beasts, and a mouse, that small and timorous animal, which, if you have not heard it, I will now proceed to relight.' "'You're a rum, little kid, I don't think,' said the man. "'Where do you learn such talk?' It's the why they talk in books, said Dicky, suddenly returning to the language of sand. You been a tough, I thought you'd understand. My mistake. No offence. Mean to say you can talk like a book when you like and cut it off short like that? I can converse like lords and ladies, said Dicky, in the accents of the gutter, and your noble benefactoriness made me seek to express my feelings with the best words of me command. Fond of books? "'I believe you,' said Dickie, and there were no more awkward pauses. "'When the pale young man came back with something wrapped in a bit of clean rag, "'he said a whispered word or two to the pawnbroker, "'who unwrote the rag and looked closely at the rattle. "'So it is,' he said, "'and it's a beauty, too, let alone anything else.' "'Isn't he?' said Dickie, "'touched by the praise of his treasure tinkler. "'I've got something else here that's got the same crest as your rattle.' Crest, said Dickie. Isn't that what you wear on your helmet in the heat and press of the tower nament? The pawnbroker explained that crests no longer live exclusively on helmets, but on all sorts of odd things, and the queer little animal, drawn in fine scratches on the side of the rattle, was, it seemed, a crest. Here, Humphreys, he added, give it a rub-up and bring that seal here. The pale young man did something to Tinkler, with some pinky powder and a brush and a wash leather, while his master fitted together the two halves of a broken white cornelian. "'It came out of a seal,' he said, "'and I don't mind making you a present of it.' "'Oh,' said Dickie, "'you're a real writer, and he rested his crutch against the counter expressly to clasp his hands in ecstasy as boys in books did. "'My young man shall stick it together with cement,' the pawnbroker went on. And put it in a little box. Don't you take it out till to morrow and it'll be stuck fast. Only don't go trying to seal with it or the sealing wax will melt the cement. It'll bring you luck, I shouldn't wonder. It did, and such luck as the kind pawnbroker never dreamed of, but that comes further on in the story. End of chapter one, part one.